All right, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, we'll continue our studies there. We've been in Matthew 23 for about five or six weeks now, and we're going to do today and probably at least one more. Uh, we're looking at the, the last of the woes here, and I think you guys will be happy that this is the last one, and we won't be doing any more of these woes on religious hypocrites. We've been calling out the hypocrites uh, as Jesus was in Matthew 23. These are, have been called uh, the harshest words. These are definitely not nice words. These are the harshest words that Jesus ever spoke, and he spoke them to the religious hypocrites of that day. And, I, and so we've been preaching it and looking at hypocrisy in our own lives and how we can rid ourselves of any, any type of religious hypocrisy. And the reason we need to rid ourselves of hypocrisy is what the result of hypocrisy. And Jesus will tell us right here in the worst of the woes, as Jesus drops the hammer on religious hypocrites, he tells them that this is the type of religion that will send you to hell. So ultimately, hypocrisy will send you to hell. So we need to get rid of hypocrisy. We need to not have, make sure we don't have any of that in our hearts. Confess it. Be done with it. And today, that is the warning. We need to be rid of any hypocrisy. So let's open our hearts. Be honest with God. And, and read this passage today. I'm going to look at verses 29 through 36. And again, the title of the sermon is, Religion That Will Send You to Hell. Uh, so let's go ahead and stand together. And we'll read these verses together. Religion That Will Send You to Hell. That's a, that's a lovely sermon title for today, is it not? Religion that will send you to hell. So we're going to read verses 29 through 36. You'll see this today. This isn't something I'm making up. This is something Jesus makes very clear as he teaches us about a religion that will send you to hell. Starting in verse 29. Again, this is the last of eight woes that he gives. Verse 29, he says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say... If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which kill the prophets. So fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. These are the harshest words. This is the harshest chapter in the, harshest in the Bible. Ye serpents, ye generations of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send you prophets, wise men, scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in the synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. These are harsh words upon religious hypocrites. And we need to hear these words. So let's pray together and we'll look at religion that will send you to hell. Father, we thank you for, and we've done this, thank you for the good, kind, gracious, loving words of the Bible, the stuff that we love to hear, the stuff that will tickle our ears and pat, our, pat us on the back. Uh, God, we love sermons like that. We love to study passages like that. But sometimes we come to a passage like Matthew 23, and these are not easy. These are hard. This is not soft. This is, this is tough. And God, I, I think we need to hear these types just as much as we do the other types. This is a warning for us all that we all need to look deep within our own hearts and find, is there any hypocrisy in me? And if there is, rid it, God, get rid of it and can forgive us for it. So God, help us to truly look at our hearts today, to look down deep into our lives and see if there's any of this there, because it is so dangerous to be a hypocrite. So God, teach us these things today, please. Help me to teach these things with the right tone and the right uh, terms and the right theology, the right... Truth in the passage here, help me today, please. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You can be seated. It's been said, and this, is, this has been said by preachers throughout the, the centuries. I, I don't think this has been given to one man as a, as a quote from him. I couldn't find one person that said this, but many people that have said this. And the quote says, there's just as many people go to hell from a church pew as they do from a bar stool. I'm going to say that again because that may shock some of you, and, 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 and it probably should. There will be just as many people go to hell from a church pew as they do from a bar stool. And what that says is, and, and, and the quote goes on to say that the devil actually prefers it that way. That he wants us to be in church and to be soothed by a little bit of religion, just enough religion in church to, to soothe us and calm us down, to make us not worry about our souls so that we'll ultimately end up in hell. And this is happening, uh, this, this is something that is extremely scary. There are people, get this, if, if this is true, and I believe it is, there are people truly sincere in their religion who believe they are doing God's work, that they are obeying God's word, that they are following God's will, but in reality they're on their way to hell. I'm going to say that again. I want you to grab this. There are people sincere in their religion who believe that that, that they're doing God's work, they're obeying God's word, and that they're following God's will, but they are actually on a road towards hell. And this is the case in churches all across America. And it's not just churches. I, I believe this is, a, this is the case with Islam. There are Muslims, millions upon millions of Muslims all across the world who think they're doing God's work. They think they're obeying God's word. They think they're following God's will. But in reality, they're on their way to hell. This is the case for, uh, you could say, for any religion out there. Even the Jews of today, they think they're doing God's work, obeying God's word, and following God's will. But in reality, they're on their way to hell. This is a case for, for Catholics. They, they think they're meeting today and they're, they think they're doing God's work and obeying God's word and following God's will. But in reality, they're on their way to, to hell. This is a case for Christian cults. The Jehovah's Witnesses are meeting and the, the Mormons are, are meeting and they're, they're deeply sincere in their religion, but they're on their way to hell. This is a case in Bible Belt Christianity. People who are salt-of-the-earth Christians sitting in their pews thinking they're doing God's work and obeying God's word and following God's will, but they're on their way to hell. Matthew 7 says that there will be many who stand before God one day and say, I was deeply religious. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. There are millions upon millions upon millions of people who are deeply, sincerely religious and they're on their way to hell. And don't you think, if all these people are, few, are fooled, I want you to understand this, that if all these, and we're talking about Muslims and Jews and Catholics and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and even people in Bible Belt Christianity, if they can be fooled in their religion, we'd be fools to think that we can't be too. Amen. That we are the few that says, no, 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 we're not fooled, we're okay. That, that would be foolish of us, which is why Jesus gives us. If all these people are fooled in their religion, I believe this is exactly why in the last week of Jesus' life, he gives us a whole chapter on religious hypocrisy. You need to be getting rid of this in your life. Telling the disciples, you can't be a hypocrite after I leave. The church should not be full of hypocrites. So in this chapter, and we need to, to, to get it at least one more time, Matthew 23, this chapter is not talking to the scum of the earth. Jesus is not in a prison ministry giving this sermon. Jesus is not standing outside of a bar. He's not outside of, of some house of ever pews. He's not outside some strip club somewhere giving this sermon. He's not looking at the, the worst of society. He's not giving this to criminals. He's giving this to salt of the earth people. 
He's giving this to the best the world has to offer. He's giving this sermon to the most religious people in the most religious time in the history of the world. He's standing inside of a temple during the the most holy week that there ever was and calling them hypocrites. This is as if, and I didn't get this till this week, I preached it for six weeks and I just now realized, it's as if Jesus is preaching this sermon on Easter Sunday to a packed house and calling them hypocrites. Not the scum of the earth, but the salt of the earth. And in this chapter, he shows that these religious hypocrites that he has described, this is the best description of a hypocrite in in the world. Eight woes, and every one of these woes says, you are like this, you hypocrite. And he's described them, and he's shown us what they're like. And here in the last one, he says, and they're on their way to hell. The eighth and final woe, he says, you guys think you're going to heaven, and you're actually going to hell. That's the definition of a hypocrite. You think you're going to heaven, but you're actually on your way to hell. And that's what we're going to see here. This this religion, this hypocrisy was putting them in a path to hell. And we need to read this today, and we need to study this today. And let's not look at at them and say, boy, they missed it. And let's not look at the outside world and say, boy, the the Muslims missed it, or the Catholics missed it, or the Jews today missed it, or the Jehovah's Witnesses missed it, or the Mormons missed it, or they, they missed it. Let's look at this and read this and ask, Am I missing it? Because again, there are millions upon millions of people sitting in pews just like ours here today. And they think they're going to heaven, but they're on their way to hell. They have just enough religion to send them to hell. So let's study this today. And I know it's not going to be a fun one. This is not a, we preached this on Mother's Day and that wasn't fun. This is Memorial Weekend and we're preaching on a religion that sends you to hell. But I think this is what people need to hear. This is a chapter that I've been told by numerous people in the church. I've never heard sermons on this before. We need to be preaching these things. So let's look at a religion that will send you to hell. I've broken this down in three points. I want to show you, first of all, the superiority that they felt. And I I think this is typical of all hypocritical religion, that they think they're better than everybody else. I think we could get an amen on that, that there are, there are religions who look down on everybody else. They think they're better than everybody else, and they did. That's what Jesus says here. Let, let's follow with it. It says in verse 29, Woe unto you, the last woe, there's been eight. He says, Woe unto you, you scribes and Pharisees, you religious people, that scribes and Pharisees, the most religious people of that time. You're hypocrites. So, woe to you, religious hypocrites, because, here's what you do. Because you build the tombs of the prophets, and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. So what they're doing here is they set up monuments. And this isn't, there's nothing wrong with this. I think we do this. I think every denomination does this. I think our church has done this. That you set up some kind of monument to honor those who came before you. The prophets that was not honored in their time, they were killed in their time and hated in their time in the Old Testament. You would see Ezekiel and Isaiah and, and Jeremiah. They were not loved in their day. But these, these, these religious people said, we're going to honor them. So they, they would set up monuments and they would set up these, decor, they would decorate their tombs. And this is a, maybe good for Memorial Day because that's what we do. Those who have gone on before, we decorate, we put flags and we make it look beautiful and we honor what they've done. Again, we do that in churches. we got a picture of an old pastor back there in the foyer. you got, you got Lutherans who honor Martin Luther. you got Wesleyans who honor John Wesley. you got, I mean, you, you just go down the list of all the denominations and all the, all the different uh, 
Tops of Christians that, that honor these things. Europe is full of all these monuments and, and different things set up to honor these people who came before them. And there's nothing wrong with that. These big, beautiful uh, monuments to honor those who came before. They wasn't loved or honored or respected in their time, but today we'll honor them. That's what they did. And, and even today, there's a tomb of the prophets in, in Israel. And they say that it's a tomb for Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. That they had set up and made it so beautiful with flowers and it was just a, a beautiful way to honor the past, but it wasn't so much a way for them to honor the past as it was for them to feel superior to the past. Let's watch what it says. Let, let's go down through here. It made them feel superior to everybody else. Look at this. It says in verse 29, you, because you built tombs of the prophets, garnish the sepulchers of the righteous. You honor the past. And then you say, watch this. If we had been in the days of our fathers, if it had been us, we would not have been more partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. That just drips of superiority. That just drips with arrogance. That if, if we had been in their day, they, again, they were killed and, and then they were, they were persecuted and they were stoned and they were sewn in half and they were treated so bad in their day. They would get up and tell the nation to, to repent and, and turn from your wicked and evil ways. And they were killed for it. But these religious people in that day would say, no, no, if we were living in that day, we would have treated them so much better. We would have listened to them and we would have honored them and we would have followed them and we would have died right along with them. We would have never sinned like they sinned. We're better than they are. We would have been on the right side of history, not the wrong side. Again, it's arrogance. Anytime you look at somebody in, in, in here, we would never do something like that. Superiority. Arrogance. They think they're better than whoever it is they're talking about. They thought they were better than everybody that came before them. We honor the prophets. We honor the righteous men. We honor them and everybody else cursed them and everybody else hated them and we would never be like them. No, we wouldn't do that. We're better than they are. We would have never done that. We would have never, we wouldn't fall for that. We're better than that. We're better than, than they are. That was their attitude. A better than attitude. And I think you can see that in churches all across America, that they think the church is full of people who think they're better than everybody else. Let me just give you a picture of it. Turn with me to Luke 18. I, I don't think you're, you're, you're understanding, you're, you're getting it. I don't think I'm getting it across just, just well enough, but I want to, I want you to see a picture of it. Not just words, but watch, watch what, what this was. Luke 18. You guys have heard this story before. I might even preach this next week. I don't know. It says, And he spake, Jesus spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. Which means they viewed others with contempt. They looked down on everybody else. They thought they were righteous and everybody else was unrighteous. Look what it says. Let's go on. It says two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about, and another a publican. And the Pharisee stood up, and I don't have to go far with this, you, you've heard this before. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I'm better than everybody else. You say, that's not what mine says. Well, watch what it says. I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm better than they are. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like this publican who's sitting in the back. I'm better than they are. 
You see that? That's superiority. That's an attitude of arrogance that I'm better than somebody else. That's a hypocrite attitude. That we're better than everybody else. I'm right and everybody else is wrong. I would never do that. I would never act that way. And don't you see that in churches today? I do. I've had that attitude. My theology is so much better than everybody else's. We see that. You say, where do we see that today? Sitting in churches where we say, me in a pew, church pew, is better than them in a bar stool. How dare they sit in a bar stool? How dare they do that? I would never do that. I'm in church on Sunday. We're better than people who vote differently than us. <laughs> I don't even have to get into that, do I? I would never vote like them. Those heathens, those pagans, those godless. I would never do that. I'm better than they are. No, you wouldn't do that, would you? Better than people in other churches or denominations. Man, those Pentecostals are nuts. You've never said that, have you? They're awful. They're terrible. We're better than they are. Our music ain't as loud, but we're better than they are. Josh, you just did that. You talked about all these other denominations and how they're going to hell. Now, Baptists are right. We sit in the back pew and we eat chicken better than everybody else. <laughs> well, we're better than the people in the pew across from us. We do that? This people over here looking at these people over here or the people on the wing? <laughs> I sit out front where everybody can see me. They're over there hiding. <laughs> I'm better than they are and I'm pointing right at my wife. <laughs> Or how about people who, I'm better than those people who don't even come to church and just watch online. How dare they sit at home. I'm better than that. There can be a lot of superiority and arrogance in the church. That we think we're better than somebody else. That's what they were doing. And I'm going to tell you, our attitude should not be one of superiority. Our attitude in the church should be one of shame. When we saw the picture of the Pharisee and the publican, the Pharisee said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like everybody else. I thank you that I'm not an extortioner. I'm not evil. I'm, I, I don't vote Democrat. <laughs> I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm not, you know, all these things. I, I, I go to church. I don't watch online. I, I don't sit in the wing. I sit up front where everybody can see me. I wear a tie to church when everybody else doesn't. They look so bad when they come. I'm better than that. I, I give more than they give. And I pray more than they pray. And I go to church three times a week. And they go three times a month. I thank you that I'm better than they are. But then the publican, as it turns the page, you're back in Luke 18, how did he pray? Smote himself on the chest. Said, God, have mercy to me, a sinner. It wasn't an attitude of superiority. It was an attitude of shame. So the first point was the superiority they felt. But I want to show you the, the second one is the shame that they should feel. Because that should be what's in our hearts. Not a feeling of superiority that we're better than everybody else. But a feeling of shame that I'm worse than everybody else. 
Well, watch where it goes. Because that's what Jesus will say. Would you just follow with me? Verse, verse 31. He says, Wherefore, your witnesses unto yourselves, which is, I love this, he's, he's exposing the truth. He's bringing it out. He's taking the mask off and showing the, the depths of their hearts. You're not better than those who came before you. You're the same as them. Look what it says. Your witnesses unto yourselves that you're the children of them which call, uh, killed the prophets. You say, what does that mean? To be children of. To be a child of means you're just like them. I get that all the time. My boy Isaiah is sitting right over here. Hate to call him out. Hate to embarrass him. Teenager. Can't stand for me to talk about him now. But I'm going to anyway because he's just like me. He's just like his dad. Everything he does. Last night before bed, he said, Dad, I got a routine. I got to read my Bible. I got to do this. I got to take the dog out. I got it. And I'm sitting there thinking, I've got a routine. It's different than yours, but we're identical. Like father, like son. And then I watch my little girl, Emma. And Emma, my other kids are basically a mix of me and Steph. Isaiah's no mix. He's just me. And Emma, she's not a mix. She has none of her dad in her at all. I told Steph just the other day, she is spitting image of Steph. The way she acts, the way she talks, everything that she does is, is Steph. Like mother, like daughter. She's just like her mom. And you can say that about a lot of people in a lot of ways. But that's what he's saying here in verse 31. Your actions, which is your witness or your testimony, it tells everybody that you're just like them. It's like you're a child of them. You're acting just like them. You're not better than them. You're just like them. Your DNA proves it. You're just like those fathers that you say that you would never do, but you're doing it now. Watch this. How did these Pharisees treat John the Baptist? The very last prophet in the New Testament. So they just said, we're going to honor the prophets. We would never treat the prophets bad. We'd never treat the the righteous men bad. We'd never do that. And Jesus is like, how'd you treat John? Poor John went to jail and got his head cut off because he called you vipers. You didn't honor him, did you? When he came along, you didn't say, hey, let's build a tomb. Let's, let's, Let's honor him. Let's have a party for John. You hated him and persecuted him and killed him. Let me give you another one. They hated the last prophet. And in that moment, they're plotting to kill the greatest prophet who ever lived. He's like, you're not better than them. You're worse than them. They killed Jeremiah. and they, they, they killed Your fathers killed Jeremiah. And your fathers killed Isaiah. And your fathers killed the prophets before. You're killing the Son of God. You're not just not better. You're worse. I'll show you Matthew 26. Just, just a chapter over. It shows their heart right now. Because Jesus will finish chapter 23. And that's a sermon to the religious hypocrites. In Matthew 24 and 25, He gives a, a long sermon on the end times to His disciples. And then we go back to chapter 26. And it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, which is two sermons, He said to His disciples, You know that after two days of the feast of the Passover, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed to be crucified. Verse 3, then assembled together the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and they consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and to kill him. In that moment, while he is talking to them, deep in their heart, 
is murderous hatred for the greatest prophet that ever lived. I, I can give you another passage. I, we, we won't go there yet. But it, it's the same thing that, that in, the, in the parable of the vineyard, as, as the master kept sending his servants to, to check on the, the vineyard, and finally he sent the son, and they killed the son. It, it goes right along with it. You're not just better than them. You're not at all better. You're the same, if not worse. You shouldn't feel superior. You should feel shame. I think the attitude of truly religious people is shame on me. Not better than everybody else. But if not for the grace of God, there it goes off. I'd be duped just like they are. I'd fall for it just like them. I'm no better. I'm worse. Didn't Paul say it? I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm the worst of the worst. And God was gracious to me. I don't feel superior. I feel shame. And watch what he says. It's going to get worse. Verse 34. Wherefore, behold, I'll send you prophets. And I'll send you wise men and I'll send you scribes. And then when Jesus says, I will send you in verse 34, that's with the authority of God himself. Only God sends prophets. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you prophets, which is preachers, wise men, which are teachers and scribes, which are writers. I'm going to send you these men. And he's talking about the apostles. He's talking about Stephen. He's talking about the preachers and and, and the ones that he'll send in, in the book of Acts. I'm going to send these to you. What are you going to do to them? You think you're better, you're worse. You hated John. You're trying to kill me now. And then I'm going to send you preachers and teachers and writers. And what are you going to do to them? Look what you're going to do to them. Some of them you'll kill and crucify. Some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues. And you'll think you're doing God's work. And you're obeying God's word and you're following God's will. When you kill the people, Jesus sins. And you'll persecute them from city to city. Read Acts. Full of this. Stephen being the first one. And you can read that sermon in Acts 7. As he stands up before them, he says, you're doing exactly what your fathers did before you. And Stephen's just the next in line. It was John the Baptist. It was Jesus. Then it was Stephen. And then it became Paul who said, everywhere I went, the, the people who were after me the most wasn't necessarily the world trying to persecute me. It was the religious hypocrites trying to persecute me. I'll go ahead and say it. The religious hypocrites are often the greatest persecutors in all of history. Ask men like Martin Luther. Who was it that put him to his death? It wasn't the, the worldly sinners and the, the pagans. and It, it wasn't the, the Muslims who, who killed Luther. It was... The Catholic Church. And you can go on. And Jonathan Edwards, one of the, the greatest thinkers and the greatest preachers and the greatest writers, preached the greatest sermon and, and wrote the greatest books ever to be written on American soul. And he was run out of his own church. I mean, this man should be, he is honored today. I mean, I stand up and I love Jonathan Edwards, but in his day, he was hated by the religious hypocrites. Hated. Martin Luther, we love him today and we celebrate the Reformation and how we came out of and protested against the Catholic Church. They hated him then, but we love him now. 
We'd sit here and say, I would be right with Luther back then. I would never have treated him like that. Oh, really? Ask Charles Spurgeon, who died of a broken heart because people in his area during the downgrade controversy was running him out of every group that he was in. Hated him. The prince of preachers. Everybody loves Charles Spurgeon today. They hated him in his day. I can go on. Puritans, they run them out of their churches. There's a reason they came to America. They couldn't preach in England. Hated them. We love them. We read them. We quote them. And it gives me great hope that if I'm hated today, I might be loved after I'm gone. <laughs> it's just, that's how it goes. Righteous men are, are rebuked to an unrighteous society. It's just the cost. Jesus didn't promise us an easy life where everybody will love you and you'll be popular and you'll be getting views on all your sermons online and it'll be the greatest thing in the world and you'll be loved at work, you'll be loved at school and everybody's going to agree with everything you say. Jesus didn't promise us that. He promised us a cross. That's what He promised us. He'll tell you they won't love us. They won't honor us. They'll want to kill us. That's just the history of Christianity. They want to get rid of anyone who stands up and preaches these things. You say, how do they do that today? Well, the preachers, they just vote them out when they preach something they don't like. Or they vote with not, not, not just their hand. We vote to get rid of him. I'll vote with my feet and I'll leave. I'll vote with my, with my money and I won't give. We'll get rid of that guy. We don't like what he says. It just happens. All we... Righteous men are a rebuke to an unrighteous society. All who represent Christ, Jesus says, will suffer persecution. And the most persecution, and we could see it in the days ahead, that the most persecution that the real church receives is from religious hypocrites. They don't like it. They don't want to hear it. Well, let me show you what this shows. Because I, I want to move on. What does this show? The murderous heart of the Pharisees. Jesus has now fully exposed the truth of who they really are. He said it last week, if you studied with us last week, where he said, deep down in your heart, you, you, you think you're clean, you, you, you think that, that, that everything's right, that you're righteous, you, you, you think that about yourself because on the outside, but deep down, he says, you are, you have a dirty heart, you have a dead heart, and you have a deceived heart. He told them that, and now he says, we see it. That that heart has now come out, and the mask has come off, and you're showing yourself to have an evil heart of murder. Of hatred. That you aren't better than anybody else. But you are actually much, 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 much worse than you could ever imagine. That you would even kill the Son of God. And let me apply this before we move on. Let's not think that we're any better than they are. Let's not stand here today and say, thank you God that I'm not like the Pharisees. (laughs) That we are superior to them in any way. You say, and the question is, do you think that if I was there, that I would have killed Jesus? That I would have been right along with the crowd saying crucify? If you don't think you would, you're fooling yourself. There's an old hymn that says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And the song goes on, I don't want to sing it, but it goes on, it says, and when I think about it, it makes me tremble. Oh, it makes me tremble. John Stott says this, Until you see the cross as that which was done by you, 
you'll never appreciate that it was done for you. Would I go that far? That I would kill the Son of God? John Stott again says, until you see that the cross was done by you, you'll never appreciate that it was done for you. There's an old hymn. I love it. I just printed it off this morning. I got my little cheat sheet here. It said, I see the crowd in Pilate's hall. I mark their wrathful mane. Their shouts of crucify, appall, with blasphemy between. And of that shouting multitude, I feel that I am one. And in that din of voices rude, I recognize my own. I see the scourges tear into his back. I see the piercing crown. And of that crowd who smite and mock, I feel that I am one. Around yon cross the throng I see, mocking the sufferer's groan. Yet still my voice it seems to be as if I mocked alone. Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the cross of God. I joined the mockery. Until you see the cross as something that was done by you, you'll never appreciate that it was done for you. Understand this. This is where our shame comes from. We have hearts that would murder the Son of God. And to think otherwise is to flatter ourselves. To look back and say, I would never do that, when we should look back and say, but for the grace of God, there goes I. We are all worse than we could ever imagine. And I just mentioned Charles Spurgeon, so now I've got to quote him. He says, Brother, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. And I'll add another quote by him. If you have a moral portrait painted, and it is ugly. (laughs) You with me? If you have a moral portrait painted, hard to say. Spurgeon and his... English accent probably said it beautifully. If you have a moral portrait painted and it is ugly, be satisfied. For it only needs a few blacker touches and it would be nearer to the truth. We are all far worse than we could ever imagine. We're not better than everybody else. We're actually worse. Which is why Jesus shows them here the severe judgment they'll face. I'll show you the superiority they failed and the shame they should feel. I want to show you lastly the severe judgment that they will face. And he says there in verse 32, fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Fill up the cup is what he's saying here. This is the cup of God's wrath that he's talking about. And the Bible continually gives us that picture of, of a cup. And, and as it's filling, it shows the patience of God. That there's a cup and, and, and you're slowly. And I hate to keep using coffee analogies and, and illustrations, but I'm going to. That as you see, you get you a coffee, coffee cup. And it's not a small little cup. You've got to get a, a big thing. At least 20 ounces of coffee or you can't make it throughout the day. You've got to be fully caffeinated. So you get a big cup and you slowly pour it in. And that's the picture that he gives us of God's patience with mankind. That his wrath is slowly filling up. And as it fills up, it's coming to the brim and going to overflow. And when it reaches there, God pours out his wrath upon mankind. It's a picture in Revelation. It's a picture of Jesus in the garden when he says, take this cup and let it pass from me. 
And then it doesn't pass and he takes it and he drinks the wrath of Almighty God, his Father, all the way down to the bottom for us. He takes it down to the dregs, it says, which means the, the, the bottom, the, 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 you could say the coffee grounds at the bottom of the cup. He drinks it to the last drop so that none of us have to face the wrath of God ever. He paid it all. And it says here in this passage, filled the, the cup up, which is a picture of all the generations of wrath that has been God has been patiently enduring. You with me? That from the beginning, all the way till then, that God has been enduring with great patience how people have been treating His prophets. And now He says, you're going to fill it up. Read with me. It says, fill you up to the measure of your fathers. And watch what it says in verse 35. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel under the blood of Zacharias. And you can underline A, Abel, Z, Zacharias. You can underline A, Abel, Genesis, Z, Zacharias, the last story in the Old Testament. He's saying from the first prophet ever to be killed, which is Abel, who stood up and done the righteous thing and was murdered by his brother Cain, who we called a hypocrite last week. All the way to Zechariah, who stood up in the temple and told the priests that they were doing the wrong thing and he was killed on the spot. From A to Z in the Old Testament to John the Baptist here and God just kept patiently waiting as his messengers were persecuted and killed and the cup was filling up throughout all the Old Testament and, and now they get to Jesus and he says, fill it up, it's going to come to the top and when that happens, God's patience is running out. And the cup is filling up. And when they put Jesus to death, and they say, let this blood be upon our hands and our children's hands, it reaches the top. And God pours out His wrath on them. Amen. You say, what does He do? And I'll say this before we get any further. God has been patient with America. But how high do you think the cup is right now? Until it begins to overflow. So watch what happens. He said, we're going to pour it out. All that has taken place from, from Abel till now, God has filled it up, pouring it out. Verse 36, And verily I say unto you, all these things shall come to pass upon this generation. Which tells me that judgment fell on that religion. You don't have to Follow along with me on this, but just a few short years after, after this, 70 A.D., God poured out his wrath on Israel, upon the, the religion of the Jews, temple destroyed, wiped out completely, utterly decimated, to the point where some people say what happens in Matthew 24 is actually what happened in 70 A.D. I don't think they're right. But it was one of the Worst things that's ever happened in the history of the world. What happened in Israel in 70 AD. That's just God saying you're done. Then the judgment fell on those people. Verse 33. He says you serpents. You generations of vipers. 
which is a, a little sneaky poison snake, the kind of snake that looks like a piece of wood that, that bit Paul, and I think it's at the end of Acts, and he reached down to get some firewood, and that little snake wasn't firewood, and it's poisonous, and it reached up and grabbed a hold of his arm, and, and that little snake was trying to get out of the fire. That's what he's saying here, that and when you start fire, the snakes start slithering away, and he says, here, you little snake, you little poisonous, evil little animal, you're trying to get away and you can't. This fire is going to get you and wrath is going to fall down on you. You can't escape the damnation that's coming your way. Wow. Jesus is hitting them here. And understand, these are real people who died and went to a real hell. And it was unexpected. And it was harder for them than anybody else. Nobody had the revelation they had. How scary. Jesus is, you can't escape it. You religious hypocrites, you're on your way to hell. And judgment's going to fall upon all religious hypocrites. It's a bullseye of God's wrath where he's pouring it. He poured it first on that religion and then on those in that hypocritical religion. And, and today, he pours it on all religious hypocrites. We're in a different place and we're in a different time, but the truth is it stands the same. That religious hypocrisy demands severe judgment. It demands it. Don't, don't think that because you sit in a pew and, and, and you look good on the outside, but you've got hypocrisy on the inside, that you're going to escape. There's no escaping the damnation of, of hell. You can't slither your way out of it. Judgment's going to fall like a hammer. Wow. And there will be millions upon millions that face the fires of hell who spent a lifetime sitting in the pews of a church. All because they had a religion that sends them to hell. Turn with me to Matthew 7, and I'll close. You guys know the passage. He says in verse, let me start reading in verse 15. Beware of false prophets. 7.15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. He calls them wolves. He calls them snakes. He calls them blind gods. He just, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is, is cut down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you'll know them. Here's where I wanted you to see. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, they're going to die and stand before God and they're going to say these words and they're going to try to slither their way out of judgment. You with me? Like a evil, sneaky, deceptive snake that thinks it can get away. You're going to have these religious people who think they're going to get out of it. 
by giving this defense. Many. And that many means, you know what many means? It means a lot. If my kids come to me and say, Dad, I just ate many M&M's. Oh, you just had one or two? No, they ate the whole bag. Left none for dad. Many's a lot. There will be a lot of people. And I say millions upon millions. It could be billions upon billions. Who again think they're doing God's will. Obeying God's word. Doing God's work. And they're going to stand before God. Many will say unto me in that day. Lord, Lord. And I, I, could, I want to read this, but I could change it. Did we not go to church? Did we not sit in the front pew? We didn't sit in the wing. Did we not wear the right clothes? Did we not give money? Did we not go on Wednesday night too? We were, we were Wednesday night churchgoers. So much better than those Sunday morning only people. Did we not vote Republican? <laughs> yeah, say that one, right? Did we not, you know, all these things. Did we not have values and, and morals? Did you not see me? I bought fries for the, for somebody one day at McDonald's. I, I didn't even post about it on Facebook so everybody could see it. I'm better than everybody. And you can just keep naming all these things that make us feel superior. I went to church in person during a pandemic. Did I not? Well, that's what it says. We just keep going. He just gives us a list that you're going to try to slither your way out of damnation and you can't escape it. Nothing you can do can argue your way out of damnation. He said it. You can't escape this. Look, keep going. let's just read what they had. Did we not prophesy in your name? In your name did we cast out devils? In your name we've done many marvelous works. Again, many's a lot. That's Josh's translation. We've done a lot of good things. Verse 23. This may be the most shocking thing Jesus ever said. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you intimately. I never knew you in a salvation way. Get out of here. You workers of iniquity. Get out of my presence. Which is you're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. You had a religion that sent you to hell. A Muslim may stand before God one day and say, did we not do 51% good? <laughs> a Muslim could say, did we not? You know, just, just name. I, I, wore, I wore the right thing. I prayed three times a day facing towards Mecca. I did everything that I was supposed to do. I, was, I, was, I thought I was obeying God's word and doing God's will and following, uh, doing God's work and following God's will. I thought I was. Depart from me, I never knew you. You've got Jewish people today who, who grow their sideburns and their hair and they wear those little hats and they go to the, the welling wall and they, they do all these things and they, they have all these little rituals that they do and they're going to stand before God one day and it's going to be, did I not? I wore the black hat and I had the black clothes and I had the right, you know, I didn't wear the right cotton and all these things. I had it all right. I didn't need these things. I didn't eat bacon. Don't I get into heaven? Depart from me. I never knew you. I mean, you just go down the list. Mormons can sit there and say, I went on a mission. I, mean, I, I, 
worked at the food bank over here and, and wore the, the same little white shirt with a cut off sleeve and the black tie and the name tag and I walked around and everybody made fun of me and, and talked about me and, and I was gone for two years and, and I did this and I, I did that. I got married and I wore weird things and, and, and I did, I did, I did. Depart from me, I never knew you. You had a religion that sent you to hell. And, and us, Bible Belt, saw the earth Christians. Did I not get baptized? Did I not, did I not do this? Did I not do that? I mean, we could just keep naming it. I said, listen to a preacher for an hour every Sunday. And he wasn't even that good, but I did it. I suffered through it. We did Bible school and I worked in the kitchen. I drove the bus. Kids threw things at me. I changed a diaper in the nursery. I did, I did, I did. You had a religion that sent you to hell. Depart from me, I never knew you. Millions upon millions, we'll just say many, will face the fires of hell who spent a lifetime in the pews of a church. You say, Josh, what do we do with this? And, and I, I thought about that. How do, how do you close something like this? What, what do we do with it? And, and I, I was sitting in my office saying, what, what do we do with this? Because basically we're, we've closed it out. We've done the eight woes. How do, how do you end this? What do we need to do? And, and it came to me like, like a light bulb went off, like an, like an epiphany. We need to do what they should have done. And what should they have done? And I think the answer for them is the same as it is for us. They should have felt the shame of their sin. And they should have fell down at the feet of Jesus and said, forgive me, my Lord and my God. Jesus is the answer. Run to Jesus. They did all these things, but they missed Him. And you can do all these things Again, you can change diapers in the nursery, work in the kitchen during vacation Bible school, get baptized, give your money, wear the clothes, listen to the preacher, have all those things right, but if you miss Jesus, you're going to hell. That's just the truth. You can be a Muslim, and again, you could be 51% good. You could even be 99% good. But if you miss Jesus, you're going to hell. You could be a Jew and go to the Welling Wall and put your prayers inside that wall. Why are Jews going to hell today? Because they miss Jesus. And if you miss Jesus, you're going to hell. Jehovah's Witnesses get Jesus wrong. Mormons get Jesus wrong. Some Bible Belt Christians in churches get Jesus wrong. They've got just enough Jesus sprinkled on top of their religion to make themselves feel good. You understand that? Don't miss Jesus. Because he says it, and we'll, we'll preach it next week, maybe the next week. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou, kill, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered my children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. He says, I'm, here I am. He's standing right there in front of them in Matthew 23. And all they had to do was run to Jesus. That's all they had to do. And, 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 and to bow down and, and to say, I, I, I have hypocrisy in me and I, I've got a murderous heart and I, I'm evil to the bone and I'm full of shame. And you hide it in His wings 
And He takes the punishment for you just a couple days later. You, you with me? That's what was the difference between the disciples and these Pharisees. Not the disciples were better than, than the Pharisees, but that they run to Jesus and the Pharisees didn't. The only difference between any of us and anybody else is that we run to Jesus and we find salvation in His wings. Hide in Him who drank the cup dry. That's the only difference. What's the difference between me and you and anybody else? Our faith is in Jesus completely and totally. That's it. That's it. We don't feel superior. We worship the one who is superior. That's why we're not superior to anybody. We're lowly. We're like the publican. And we beat our chest and we say, woe is me and have mercy on me. And he does. So you run to Jesus and you walk with Jesus. You join the few, the proud, the Christians. And yeah, you walk humbly with Jesus like the disciples did. You may end up like they did and, 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 and be persecuted and be talked about and not be popular. Jesus, again, didn't promise a, a cross, or an easy life. He promised a cross and eternal life. And then I'll give you this and I'll close. They should have run to Jesus. They should have walked with Jesus. And they should have shared Jesus with everybody else. How many, how many people do you, do you think that are sitting in church pews today that are on their way to hell? It's, it's unimaginable. And how many of them need a way of escape and we ain't telling them? We should be sharing Jesus far and wide with religious people. They need to hear that Jesus is the answer, that He is, he is our salvation. He, and I just wrote down these words that last night about midnight. I said, I wrote down, Jesus is the answer. That's the answer to, to our hypocrisy. Run to Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Share Jesus. Let everybody know that their only way to escape damnation is, is to turn to Jesus. Not their religion. Not their ritual. Not their routine. Not their church. Not their pastor. Not their baptistry. Not any of those things. Turn to Jesus. He is, what's this? Our salvation, our mediation, our redemption, our reconciliation, our sanctification. He is our life, our hope, our future. Jesus is our all in all. He's the only way anybody will escape a religion that sends you to hell. It's Jesus Christ. So I call you today to share that with the many religious people sitting in pews who are on their way to hell. He said, Josh, why do you preach the gospel so much in church? Because there's people in the pews who are going to hell. And I was one of them. <laughs> I was sitting in the church pew, went to a Christian school, got baptized. I mean, you, you name it. Mom and dad, Christian. Brother and sister, I mean, my sisters were Christians. And, I mean, just, I, I had all the, the religious trappings, but I didn't have Jesus. And then I run to Jesus. And I found forgiveness and mercy. And it wasn't until I felt the shame of my sin until I knew I needed to run to Jesus. Amen. I just think I was better than everybody else because <laughs> I went to church. Now I know. And the more I get to know myself, the more I realize that I'm just the worst of the worst. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I don't know where I'd be. But I'd be on my way to hell. So I urge you today if there's any doubt about where you stand, run to Jesus. Yes. Find yourself in the shadow of his wings. And he will stand with his arms wide open and welcome you and cover you in the covert of his wings. The best place to be.
cover us. You, you get this. You know, who, you know what he covers us from? And again, my, my Bible, we're done. You guys can leave. When he covers us, he covers us from the wrath of Almighty God. That as he covers us and the wrath is poured out on him, not a drop of it touches us. Now, I think it's Romans 5, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Not a drop will fall on us. That's why I believe that in the end times, when God pours out his wrath upon the world, I won't get a drop of it falling on me. I'm covered. He's already paid it all for me. Run to the covert of his wings and find grace and mercy. Get this. Even as I walk with him in a world that hates Christians, he covers me. He helps me. So I urge you today, if there's any doubt whatsoever where you see it, run to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we have a religion here in this church that sends people to heaven, not to hell. And that the only way, I know the only way that it takes, that that can take place is if we have a religion here that points people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Constantly, daily, over and over, telling people that Christ is the only way. So that I pray that people in here today, they would realize the, the shame of their hearts and that they would run to Jesus. And that you'd help us as Christians. God, I, there's hypocrisy in me. I've seen it through this series. Rid us of it as we walk with you. Let us be real. Let us be honest. Let us be true. There's still evil in our hearts. Rid us of it. Forgive us for it. And help us to walk closer to you. The old song says, just a closer walk with Jesus. That's our plea. It's our desire. So help us, God, today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.